Welcome to the TES Further Education Podcast. This week I'll hear about promoting vocational education from Jan Hodges, CEO of Edge Foundation. Tom Starkey of Leeds City College tells us about the value of grassroots gatherings. Tony Fazzaili, who's just retired as CEO of Institute for Learning, talks about her time in the role. Welcome to the TES FE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. This week, I'll be learning how three different people are promoting the great work of the further education and skills sector and ensuring that vocational learning is seen as a viable option for young people. Edge Foundation is a charity which champions technical, practical and vocational learning. However, a recent Edge study found that only 27% of parents believe that vocational education is worthwhile. But it wasn't all bad by any means. John Hodges is the CEO of the Edge Foundation and tells us why we've got a lot to be optimistic about. Recent research conducted by Edge Foundation found that both parents and schools still hold a stigma against vocational education compared with academic routes. Why do you think this is the case? I think there is a lack of really good information, advice and guidance about vocational routes. They tend to be less well-known than the more academic ones. I think people sometimes hold what are now outdated views. They think that perhaps if their um, young people choose a vocational route, they're not going to be as successful in life as someone who's chosen an academic route. And actually what this research shows is that uh, many um, people who follow a vocational route are just as satisfied, just as fulfilled in their jobs as those who've done an academic uh, route. We looked at something like over 2,000 young adults up to the age of 35. Half had followed a vocational route, half an academic route, and there really wasn't much difference at all between them in terms of what they felt about the career fulfillment, the success they'd achieved, and their overall job satisfaction. Even their earnings weren't as different as you might uh, anticipate. I know there's been a lot of great work done already, but how do we change this view that further education and vocational education is for the ones who aren't quite as clever because there is that, yes. still that perception, I think. There is. It's one of the reasons we set up VQ Day, which is uh, an annual event to try and highlight the success of those who follow vocational routes. And we try and show examples of, of what young people have done, how they've, in many cases, actually still been able to go on and achieve a higher qualification, good examples of people who set up their own businesses, really trying to get the information out there to people about the various routes and about the opportunities and it isn't always a case of either university or a vocational route it's actually possible to combine the the two and in practice that's what many adults do if you look at many adults in their careers often you'll find they've had to do a mixture of qualifications many people for example a graduate will need a professional qualification afterwards so actually a lot more people have followed a, a vocational route than, than sometimes gets the, the recognition it deserves so I, I do think trying to highlight those those routes and those examples of success is so important. So it's getting this information to parents getting it in the wider media and, Definitely. and as yes. well as as 
appropriate and impartial information advice and guidance within schools? That's a really key issue, as I, as I know your um, readers and listeners will know. The government really recently produced some new guidance about the requirement for schools to provide independent impartial advice and guidance about a range of options and to do that and to ensure it's done in the best interests of the students. And they're also talking about the importance of contacts with employers. And I do think high quality work experience is, is important. And um, another thing that we are supporting is the skills show and the opportunity for people to actually have a go at some of these vocational careers because um, if you've never tried something, you don't actually know whether you like it or not. So we've been um, supporting the skills show and also the development of their local programs. There are, mm. there are now a network of local events where a number of providers can get together. I went to one recently myself and saw um, a whole range of providers providing have-a-go opportunities. So people from schools are getting a chance to try things and perhaps their eyes would be open to opportunities they just hadn't thought of before. We, we have to talk about the quality of provision in further education colleges and in vocational education. And I have to ask you this on behalf of other teachers in FE who, who like me, read Lord Baker's comments in the TES. Lord Baker, who's chair of Edge Foundation, and were, were puzzled, to say the least. He said the best teachers go to schools, not colleges. That's just the way it is. Why do you think this perception exists when there's no well, evidence I, whatsoever to back it up? I, um, I did speak to Lord Baker about that because you're right. We work a lot with colleges. I was a former college principal myself. I know that tremendously good work goes on in colleges. And when I spoke to him, he did explain that he'd actually been trying to talk about the need for more specialist teachers in maths and English. Uh, and I think he was referring to the fact that um, FE colleges need to recruit a lot more of those. And at the moment, the people who tended to know most about things like maths and English in terms of GCSEs or A-levels were teachers who were in schools. So I don't think he meant it as a more general comment, but unfortunately, that's the way it, it came out. Is this to do with the idea that some vocational teachers are sort of teaching functional skills, teaching English and maths as a sort of add-on to what they do rather than having specialists um, to come in and work with them, perhaps to team teach, perhaps to um, see the the students on a, on a separate uh, course? I think it's the concern that now all young people um, have to continue with maths and English post-16 and attempt to get a GCSE if they haven't already got one. And um, this, as we know, is a huge challenge for FE. It's a tremendous demand to be put on them. Uh, many of these young people have done English and maths for many years at school and not managed to get that grade C. So in a year or two, colleges are going to have to try and turn that around. And I don't think at the moment FE colleges do employ a lot of people who are, say, specialists in GCSE English. You're right. They tend to teach more functional skills embedded with the vocational area, which is a very positive thing but the government now is stressing more and more that young people should be getting GCSEs in maths and English. So is some of this partially about um, more training for functional skills teachers to be able to to deliver a GCSE? I'm speaking yeah. as a functional skills English teacher myself. I think I think so perhaps yes and, and also it's about recruiting more people perhaps who've got yeah more specialist expertise in English and, and maths in a more academic way, actually, even though they'll be working in FE. Yeah. 
I think the challenge for those teachers, even though, I, I mean, I used to teach uh, GCSE English myself, the challenge will still be if you're teaching GCSE English or maths in FE, that you want to try and contextualise it yeah. because that's going to be the best way to engage your learners and give them the best chance of being being successful. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree about the... Um the the need for more understanding of the curriculum of GCSE as I say I teach functional skills English and I'm not mm. ready to go and teach GCSE yet I know it'll take some no. some no. additional training and additional knowledge yes. from being able to do so absolutely in my view is uh, you know I do think they're going to have to recruit a lot more teachers maybe more teachers who've come from more of a kind of school background if you like although it'll be a leap for them to make the the, the move and you're right and for existing teachers to have the opportunity to be upskilled and, and trained and the government's bringing this in very quickly so we need to be prepared um in spite of the recent research to do with perception of vocational education do you feel optimistic that we the more people are, are knowing what we do more people are understanding the options most students more school pupils more parents are understanding the options that are out there to meet the needs of the individual I do. I think the Edge Foundation does feel positive uh, about what we're trying to achieve and that things are turning towards our, our view. Um, certainly, I know there are more concerns about going to higher education in terms of the high level of debt that one has to take on, whether you're going to get a, a good job at the end. That doesn't seem to be guaranteed. There's a lot more interest now, I think, in professional courses, in apprenticeships, in the vocational routes so long as people can be reassured i think that it doesn't necessarily close off the possibility of some higher education if they want to do that later and if people can be reassured about the level of likely earnings and job satisfaction then i, I think um, more and more people are coming around to to um, the idea that these are good things good courses to be doing so i would be optimistic I think that um, there is a growing recognition of the value and importance of the sort of work that FE, FE does. Thanks very much indeed to Jan Hodges. Edge Foundation have done and continue to do brilliant things to celebrate and promote our sector. And it would seem a bit mean to detract from all that wonderful work by going on about Lord Baker's input. Anyway, it didn't mean that all teachers in colleges are a bit duff compared to the ones in schools. Just teachers of maths and English, like me. Yeah, cheers, great, thanks a lot, that's beautiful, lovely. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got to muzzle myself here. Please, can we all stop popping GCSE on a diamond-encrusted pedestal? You know, as functional skills staff, fair dues, we might not all be au fait with the GCSE curriculum yet. But that doesn't mean we're the equivalent of low-calorie teachers. Looks like the real thing, but we all know it's not quite as good. We are actual, real-life subject specialists too, you know. Now, ideally, I'd like to kick off for about 20 minutes, and I could. I could go off, but I won't. So if I can condense my rant into a sentence. Could the Right Honourable Lord Baker of Dorking, Kenneth Baker, please not say stuff like that? It doesn't help. And if you're wondering, yes, I've got my arms folded and my matron face on. Hmm. Right, let's move on to more positive things. Tom Starkey is an FE lecturer at a college in Leeds. It was because of him that I found myself in a pub on a Saturday afternoon with some fabulous teachers in all areas of education sector from all over the country. Here he explains how this sort of ground-level event has potential to become a valuable educational movement. <laughs> 
So I know you've got a background in secondary. Um, what brought you to FE? I'd been working in secondary for a while. I'd uh, seen what secondary had to offer, and it's fantastic. But I wanted a different challenge. I think when it comes to the difference between secondary and FE, I think it's the same in any kind of educational establishment. It's about the type of students that you see. In FE, at the moment, I'm teaching people who are range from around 14, and I think my oldest student is 72. So that means that I get to see a kind of broader range of people's lives when it comes to education. Also, um, in a lot of ways, FE can be a little more genteel than secondary. Secondary is very, very relentless. It's, you know, five sessions uh, every day, whereas in FE it can be slightly more laid back when it comes to timetabling. Uh, but also, of course, there are other demands because you know, there is usually a wider range of curriculum areas that you'd have to work in. I mean, speaking personally, I taught English uh, in secondary school, and when I moved to FE, I started out teaching English, and then I moved on to work skills and then employability skills. Um, I've taught mentoring sessions to students with uh, special needs. So what has really appealed and what continues to appeal to me is uh, a very broad range of teaching when it comes to the actual subjects that I teach and the type of people that I teach those subjects to. You've organised this gathering of teachers today across all areas of education. There's people from primary, there's people secondary, people FE. How can we work better together across all the areas of education to offer the best route for the individual? It's been a, an epiphany for me using social media to try to organise people into certainly at the beginning ad hoc groups teaching can be a very isolating job it can be very you in the classroom with the students or you in your establishment and sometimes uh, if you don't have a particularly wide-ranging CPD program it's very difficult to get a view as to what is going on in the wider education world I think what we need to do is we need to kind of speak up and speak out about what we are doing and that goes to the same for every sectors meeting like this today it's it's been organized by myself using social media particularly twitter i probably wouldn't have ever met these people without without doing it on twitter and without using social media to try and bring these fairly disparate professionals together how we go about making sure that we do these types of things for the good of the learner I think it is about sharing the information that we have. It is about creating uh, links between the different educational sectors. There can be this mutual sort of mistrust between schools and, and FE. I feel like this sort of event broadens the networks of individual teachers. It's, it's quite useful in breaking down those, those barriers of mistrust. How do you think we can share what we do in FE with the wider sector, with the wider public? I think for a, the longest time, FE has been seen as almost like an educational add-on for students who perhaps don't take the traditional route. We need to make sure that the fantastic things that we are doing, and I have seen some fantastic practice in a number of different FE organisations and establishments, uh, we need to make sure that that does get out there to the learners themselves, to families, especially families. I think sometimes the importance of family support for FE learners can be forgotten because of their older age. We need to start thinking about how we can easily self-promote the things. I, we do it individually as colleges very well. A lot of teachers are not very used to shouting about the good things that they do. I think naturally teachers 
can be very humble about the good work that they do. Um, I talked about it before, but I think social media is one of the ways that we can promote the good work. And if we can try to find audiences, try to find different ways to put that information out, it can only be of a benefit. Today, the, the idea was to get a, a bunch of disparate people who work in the teaching profession together and have, have a talk, have a chat, talk about what we do over, um, over a few casual drinks and uh, uh, maybe have a laugh with it. But I think it represents maybe a microcosm of what can happen, that it represents a kind of ground level movement for teachers to be able to create their own CPD, be able to create their own support network. And I think if we start doing that, that can become more fully formed into a platform to promote EFI and the good work that we are doing. My final guest is Tony Fazile. Tony has just retired from a position as CEO of the Institute for Learning. A time at the IFL hasn't been without challenges, but there have been some great achievements to celebrate. Here she tells us about her pride in the sector and her thoughts for the future. So looking back at your time at the IFL, what, what are you proudest of? I'm really proud that something for more than 20 years that further education teachers have been asking for, seeking, uh, is to have their qualification and their status recognised as being equal to those teaching in schools. And uh, it was fantastic when IFL, after a lot of campaigning and uh, working with policymakers, influencing policymakers, evidence from members from 5,000 plus teachers and trainers, when the professional status QTLS was recognised in law as being equal to QTS for teaching in schools. That's not to say that every teacher in further education wants to teach in schools. Why would they? Many have, in fact, most have probably deliberately chosen to focus on teaching adults and young people across further education and skills, and that's their dedication and their, their preference to mm. do so. But the fact that career flexibility is two-way, so school teachers have always been to, able to move across and be recognised as qualified teachers in further education, but previously it had been porous in one direction only, and what that policy breakthrough meant was that teachers in further education with QTLS could, would be in law recognised as equal to teachers with QTS. Same terms and conditions, pay, same opportunity to teach across any subjects, any age group uh, in the school system if they chose to apply and if that's what they wanted to do. And more than 16,000 people have gained QTLS so far from the Institute for Learning and that number is growing weekly. Do you have any regrets, things that you'd change, things that you'd do differently, things that you hoped went differently? I think I'd also say another major achievement is that teachers and trainers across further education, very diverse sector, working with all age groups. So I, in the Institute for Learning, as you're aware, created in 2002 and had a period of five or so years with voluntary membership, a period of five or so years with mandated regulatory membership, and then since September 2012, back to our proud roots as a voluntary membership body. Mm. And the diversity of the membership has retained, has been retained and is almost identical. You wouldn't expect it 
but so I think a real credit to tens of thousands of teachers, trainers, tutors, lecturers uh, who across a very broad spectrum of provision actually identify so strongly with being professional, being trained, qualified um, and wanting to club together, to associate together um, with and through their professional bodies. I think that's a major achievement. In terms of regrets, uh, in some ways events change, policy changes and so the, the challenge always for any organisation is to um, shape that environment as far as is possible in positive ways to influence it and inform it, uh, but also to adapt and to develop and change. And the, the, the jury will be out for whether having a regulated membership uh, for any profession, whether that's nurses, accountants, have regulated membership, it's very common in lots of professions, and um, for teachers, whether that's on balance the right thing, a good thing, or a bad thing. It's certainly not entirely good, it's certainly not entirely bad, but, but you could argue, looking back since 2002, that the, the time of regulations, unfortunately, in some ways, did divide people. So there were, say, thousands of members who felt very, very strongly that mandatory membership was important to the profession, important to have a collective voice across the whole profession, important for shared standards, sharing of practice across the full range, so all teachers, and also that the code of professional practice as a profession proud to uphold that code and if individuals were found wanting and there would always as in other professions in medicine and so on only ever be tiny numbers tiny proportion but then they do not have a place in the further education teaching profession so there were strong views about the positives of mandatory membership yeah. but also of course strong views Again, saying that I should be able to choose, I shouldn't have to be a member, I shouldn't have to pay uh, to become a member, and both Labour and the coalition government were very clear that the funding for membership fees would only be for three years, then it was extended to four years, but yeah. that our Institute for Learning would need to become self-financing. So, I, you know, I regret the, the buffeting for um, members, for teachers and trainers about... Um, um, an option absolutely mandatory uh, for a five-year period and then um, back again to voluntary. And I think that a period of stability and consolidation and um, development with members, and it, it's uh, everyone knows now that membership is voluntary and those regulations have been removed. And, of course, the Institute for Learning, even if as an organisation we had wanted to remove the regulations, we have no power to do that. The power of putting regulations in place lies with government. Yeah. The deep regret that I have, and if I was um, a minister, I would feel, of whichever party, that I perhaps had been poorly advised that uh, to remove the regulations for teachers needing to be trained and qualified, I think, is a big mistake. Yeah. The public consultation on whether regulations for initial teacher qualifications should be removed or not, there was a resounding support from the sector and the uh, public response to the consultation that regulations for initial teacher education should stay. There were, were rumours put about 
at the time, including with um, Lord Lingfield's report that suggested that it, it hampered colleges and providers being able to recruit who they wished. That's not factually correct, that they, colleges and providers with the regulations could recruit people who weren't qualified yet as teachers. They had up to five years to become qualified. Yeah, so there was, you know, quite properly in those regulations, a lot of flexibility built in so that the expert builder, the expert chef, the expert engineer could start teaching and rapidly be supported to become that dual professional mm -hmm. expert in their vocational subject area and expert in teaching and learning. And I don't hear parliamentarians or others crying out for unqualified doctors, unqualified accountants. Yeah. Uh, the Labour Party, in what they're saying, uh, are very strongly committed to having trained and qualified teachers. They see that as integrally connected, connected with high quality teaching and learning and high standards for students. And the Liberal Democrats, uh, interestingly, Nick Clegg's parental guarantee that teachers should be qualified uh, for parents, for pupils, for learners. Um, and so I think there's been a, a shifting of the tectonic plates where mm. it, it, if we look at it with the three major political parties, one party is saying that leave it to the market, uh, freedoms and flexibilities, and teachers don't need to be trained and qualified. Uh, the other two parties, Liberal Democrat and Labour, are saying uh, actually it's fundamental. So I, I anticipate that there will be changes. Thanks to all my guests and thanks to you for listening. I'm Sarah Simons and I'll be back on Friday the 23rd of May with more from the wonderful world of FE. FE.